helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, well, hey, it's good to have you this morning. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern with a lot of families and a lot of individuals is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, you know, we talk a lot about money on the program, and I tell you, it's always a great subject. I've got great guests today, and we're going to dive in to share some specifics with you about money and what you should be doing about it. We're going to talk about biases, Social Security. We're going to talk about risk management. If you're a business owner, you're going to need to listen today about risk management and COVID and how do you approach it in the future. But before I get to that, I really want to dive in and talk to you a little bit about a big subject. This is something I got from a guy that sent it to me. One of our listeners said you might ought to read this on the studio, in the studio, on the share, on the show. So here it is. It's from Testista, and I tell you, it says if you won, okay, you ready for this? A billion dollars. You could lay a billion dollars, one dollar bills, end to end, the trail would measure 96,900 miles. 96,900 miles. If you were going to take that billion dollars and you were going to spread it out over a big area using $1 bills, it would spread over 2,555 acres. It's amazing. Now, but if you decided to take that billion dollars and stack it on top of each other, it would stack to measure 67.9 miles high. The mighty nine. And weigh 10 tons. But even if you want a billion dollars, you cannot buy an NFL team. Uh, guys, I tell you, it that just that puts it in perspective what an NFL team. I guess that would have been a big investment years ago if you'd have bought the Green Bay Packers. You know, I've thought about that. I'd like to have been one of those guys that lived in Green Bay at the time and said, hey, I, hey, I want four tickets and just bought it. Well, let me welcome my guest to it. I have Steve Anderson in the studios with me along with Ted Miner, and we're talking with Steve about something that I think is a subject that you need to listen to because you suffer from it whether you like it or not and the reason why I say that because all of us suffer from it it's called behavior bias now I know Steve welcome to the program sir yeah it's good to be here thanks Jim you know Steve we I know this and I know that when we say behavior bias the reality is that I, you know I don't know what that means I mean I'm thinking I might know I mean obviously I don't my behavior may create a problem can you define behavior bias for us? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you think about economics, if you learned anything about economics in college, it's all based on this assumption that we're rational, that we make decisions like we're probability robots. Well, just as a practical example, my wife, uh, my, my, my sweet wife, her car was apparently ready to be replaced recently. And we went to buy her a new car. And apparently, I can tell you. Apparently. <laughs> that allegedly, apparently, right? Allegedly. I like that. So when we were at the dealership to buy this car, I can tell you there were not a lot of probabilities discussed when we were looking <laughs> at features and benefits. And so behavioral bias are, are these traps that we fall into in terms of thinking where we become irrational. And that can be emotional. 
or they can be cognitive. And so that's that's what we're talking about today. All right. That makes a lot of sense. You said irrational or emotional, and that's what happens to us as investors. Is that what you're saying? That's right. That's exactly right. And, and, And these are traps that we really... They're very hard to avoid. We just have to try to mitigate them is, is the big takeaway. Okay. All right. Let's talk about some of these behavioral biases. Give me the one that you say is the one of the most common. Yeah. The, the kind of the mother of, of all biases is an emotional one. And so, again, there's emotional ones and there's cognitive ones. The emotional ones are the most difficult ones to deal with, and that's why this is the big one. It's called loss aversion, and it's this idea that losses hurt more than gains help. And it's a very strong emotion. This is exactly why bad news sells. We've all heard, we've all heard that, right? I mean, and, and when you flip on the news, you see bad news. It's because fear and bad news sells. We're scared to lose more than we're seeking gain a lot of times. You know, times. That's, a, that's a point. And I, I read this recently from Barron's Magazine. In fact, it was printed in January. And I, and I think a lot of people fell into this bias you're talking about, where from the day that Biden was elected until the day he was sworn into as president, most people don't remember or have forgotten already, the S&P 500 traded up 14.3%. But I guarantee you a lot of our listeners were so afraid of what was going to happen because of change and all the things. That behavioral loss averse is Mm -hmm. what you're talking about. That's exactly right. We've definitely fielded a lot of calls from people who sensed change, sensed a new regime might be coming in, and were so scared of loss that they were unable to think about any anything to the counter to that. And so they were scared of change, scared of loss, and so they, they, they were trying to get out and run rather than think rationally. My other guest in the studio with me today is Ted Miner. Ted, I know you have people as uh, a little bit older than Steve, just because you're a little bit older than Steve. Now watch out. You know, <laughs> Be careful. It's just, all relative. You know, I mean, yeah. But, but that's a, we, we sense that even in our age, don't we? Oh, absolutely. And I think sometimes living longer sometimes may even create more biases. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. And sometimes it's chalked up to experience. Well, yeah, that's a good point, Steve. Does experience drive some of these biases? Actually, I'm glad you said that, Ted, because there's a lot of research that actually shows that people who went through the uh, financial crisis, especially millennials, that that was the first step into the financial markets was right about that time. They invest less of their money than the generation prior, and it's because of that experience. They have experienced that loss, and now it's ingrained in their brains, and so they, they've, they've run. They've run from it, and, and it's, it's natural. So you're saying to me that people by nature, by this behavioral yeah. bias, might actually almost automatically reject something like an opportunity just because of that bias. They, they, it all, I mean, it lines up. It's the right thing to do. they got to a strategy to to complete what they're doing as a plan, but because of that bias that that just that doesn't let them go through to the end. That's right. In fact, there was a study where um, the the two famous pioneers of this industry are Danny Kahneman and Amos Tversky, and they did this study that's been replicated many times. But they they took participants and they offered them one hundred and fifty dollars if the coin landed on heads that they, they would win. Someone would win one hundred and fifty dollars. That you'd lose a hundred dollars if it landed on tails, and most people would not take the bet. For most people, they had to get to 200 on the win and 100 on the loss before they take it. So loss aversion is is so strong; wow. it's typically wow. two to one. Wow, that's a great that's a great point. So loss aversion, obviously, you said is the biggie of of these biases. But what's another bias that that our listeners going to have? Yeah, and the second one is uh, that that, I, that we'll talk about is hindsight bias. And and there's you know all these kind of play together. But but hindsight bias. It was funny. I was looking at my notes um, and thinking back about 
uh, the election. And sitting here, especially with the statistic you referenced, it seems like we should have seen what's happened happening, right? It seems very easy to look back and assume today what, what's going on today was knowable, and that's hindsight bias. It's, the, it's looking back and thinking, oh, I should have known this would happen. And so, therefore, when I look forward, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to happen again. I know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing into the future what I saw in the past, and that's hindsight bias. Uh, you know, I think that that's a, that's a key. You've got loss aversion. You've got hindsight. If you just tuned in, my guest is Steve. Steve, I just want to say this before. that Steve Anderson, who's done a ton of work on this, and you really talk to your clients about this, right? You, you really help educate them because you see it in your practice. That's right. That's right. And, and again, you can't do much about a lot of these things other than employ some simple everyday investment strategies and work together with someone to get this right. I'm going to talk all, about that. I want to really dive yeah. into that. Also, my other guest is Ted Miner. Also, Ted, your, th- your thoughts. Well, I, I tell you, Steve, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but sometimes when people are so strong about that bias uh, and they make a decision, I've even told them, I said, the worst thing that can happen to you is for you to get this oh, right. Oh, that's such a good point. And, and they get he said, and they would say, why? Just like this election. I said, the worst thing that can happen, because then you would think you can do this all the time. That's right. That's right. And it's been proven time and time again that there, that there is no solution to resolve this. And I'm, I'm thinking about the market going up and the market going down. There, and, and dealing with that emotion, that emotion is very, very strong. That's right. And sometimes they feel... Like we ought to feel the same way, and we're trying to be non-emotional well, great, about exactly what we're doing. That's a great point. I mean, I, our job is when we sit and talk with someone, we're counseling someone, going through that process with them. It's about helping them get through the biases, the emotions, the the greed, the fear, all those things that go on in our lives. If you just tuned in, my guest Steve Anderson and Ted Miner, we're talking about. Literally, something that can cripple you as an investor, it's called behavior biases. Now, we've talked about hindsight biases. That's a good word, hindsight (laughs) biases. And we talked about loss aversion. But there's one called anchoring. And and, and I've heard you talk about it, Steve. Anchoring is one that I think I would... I could find myself getting caught up in that. Help us with that. Yeah, anchoring, this, this, is, this is the bias that is why when you list your home, you always list it way above what you think you can actually get for it. I mean, we all do this. Sure we do. Right? Because what happens is we see a number, and then we anchor to that number. We, we, we start to see all information and all other numbers in relationship to that number. And so uh, it's it's important that th- this anchoring thing is going on all the time. When you flip on, when you open up your little stock app or, you know, the, the app on your iPhone or whatever, and it says, here's where the market is today, and you see that number, well, now all you're thinking about is everything in relation to that, in relationship to that number. You're forgetting that six months ago, that number was way lower, and that six years from now, it's probably going to be way higher. You're focused on right here, right now, and you're anchored to it, and you start to miss reality that's going on around I you. think that happened with the election. I think Absolutely. that happened prior to the election multiple times. People got caught up into that side. All right, Steve, you've given us three. I know there's many, but I think our listeners are going to say, all right, I suffer from that. I know I would want to hear some specific ways. What do I do about this particular problem when it comes to investing? Yeah, that's great. So one of them is to use anchoring to your benefit. Know what your goal is. What is the purpose for the investment you're making? And anchor to that. 
let that be the guiding light. And, and, and if that's off in the future, you know, if it's 10 years from now, great, five years from now, whatever it is, but know why you're investing. For most people, just beating the market, and I'm air quoting, that's not the right goal. The right goal is I'm trying to fund a kid's education or fund my retirement or whatever. Um, so know your goal. A second thing, because these, specifically to what Ted was talking about, you know, the best, the worst thing that could happen is you predict something, it happens. The second thing is diversification, some level of diversification. And you have to work with your advisor and figure out what that level is, but you can't assume you're going to get it right. So you have to have a plan in place for when things don't work out exactly like you planned. So know your goal maintain some level of reasonable diversification. Those are the two biggest things. You know, the goal just goes without saying. I mean, having a purpose for what you're doing, whether it's your 401k or you're saving money for college education, just having a purpose or a goal, as you say. But the other side of that diversification, I think everybody knows this, that diversification is a tool. It doesn't eliminate risk of, of loss. It doesn't do that. But it does open the door to have a little bit better portfolio because you're not stucking everything into one bucket. And yet I had someone ask me a question. And by the way, if you want to ask a question, you want us to air it on the, on the show, just simply send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. But this guy asked this question. He said, what's wrong? Here's the honest question. What's wrong in my 401k to put 90% in stock market? And he's 60 years old. I haven't got time. We haven't got time yeah. to get yeah. <laughs> yeah. to answer that. Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not it, sure what comeback you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it goes back to, to goal. So, so it's it's okay to say this account is for retirement. It's better to say this account is for retirement, and I'm not going to spend from this account for ten years. And if that was the answer to his plan, his question. 90%, 99%, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, but if he's spending those dollars in five years, might have a little bit of a problem with that. But, Jim, you've also got so much influence to that person. That person that, that you were talking to, he's probably been listening online. He's probably been seeing what type of returns we've had yeah. in the last three or four or five months. And he's thinking, wow, if only I had done this and I need to do it now and do it quick to, to make some gains with that. And, and the radio, the media affects us quite a bit in terms of how our clientele responds to us, even when they come in for a meeting. Well, and that's why the biggest takeaway from this whole behavior bias section, I think, would be the, the point of this discussion is to, for us to accept and understand that we have to protect ourselves from ourselves. That's what this is all about. <laughs> Let's just be honest and humble and realize we don't know. And frankly, we don't know what we don't know. So we've got to protect ourselves against ourselves. Like Jim said, like it or not. Like it or not. We've all got it. That's yeah, right. we've all got it. Behavioral bias. And I tell you, when it comes to understanding your investment portfolio and what you've got as a strategy, I would encourage you to seek out the wisdom from one of these guys, both of them, Steve Anderson, Ted Miner. You guys did a great job with this discussion. Now, I think it's a discussion that people need to understand it is common. It is not rare. It is, as you said, everybody suffers from it. How do we approach it? Well, I think you seek out somebody that can guide you through it, recognize that you have it. You, you go to a 12-step program. Hey, I'm Jim Shoemaker. <laughs> I have a behavioral bias. That's how we should start our meetings. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great idea. idea. No question about that. Guys, I want to shift the note a little bit here. I want to kind of dive in something that I asked you to talk about, Ted, because you, I think, do a great job. You're a retirement income certified professional. Steve's a certified financial planner. But both of you guys know and understand Social Security. We get so many questions about Social Security. And I think Social Security is, to some people, 
a nightmare. No question about it. And to some, it's a no-brainer. But I want to start with this one. This person has been divorced. And now, Ted, I want you to just take that. I can say that right there. They want to know, am I eligible for my spouse's benefit? And they had been married to their deceased spouse for eight years. Now, answer the question for them. That's the question. I've been married for eight years. My, my husband passed away. Am I eligible for his Social Security? Well, first of all, all these laws are, are, are for job security for us. That's what it's there That's for. <laughs> but, it, but it is absolutely confusing. And, uh, and, Jim, even before this discussion, I told you, you know, I mentioned to you the fact that there's a lot of confusion between divorced individuals and deceased individuals because the benefits are different. But, yes, absolutely, there are benefits that that individual has. Now, it takes a lot of, of planning to understand whether or not those benefits can help that person because of we all have individual benefits, potentially, too, if you put into the system. And many times, the big question is, how do you coordinate the benefits of your spouse if you're married or your deceased spouse or your divorced spouse? How do you, how do you coordinate those benefits with your personal benefits to maximize your total Social Security uh, income over the length of your life. And that, now, that sounds like a lot there, but that's because it's so complicated and the rules, there's so many rules to it that there are times, there's places in which you, you can actually turn on a, a survivor benefit. You can turn that on as early as, as 60 years old. And and that does not affect your individual benefit. And there may be a point in time at which and your individual benefit continues to grow. So you may turn on your individual benefit later on in life when it's, when it's much, much higher. But yes, to answer your, the short answer to your question is yes, there are benefits to a deceased spouse. Okay, now that's, that's kind of where I'm thinking here. I, there's so much about this particular amount of information. And Ted, I think people, mm. you know, we get flooded with that. And I mean, because, as you said, it's confusing, <laughs> like the fact you said job security. <laughs> but but reality and, and I hate to say this, that you can have a good experience with the Social Security office or you can be into a quagmire of just not knowing and You're, understanding. And I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. Just the facts. Of the no, reality. but it, it is cumbersome. Uh, two things. The other day I called Social Security and they're all operating in their homes now. And I actually... It's not that I don't have anything else to do. I was frustrated. <laughs> you told me this. And yeah. This is hilarious. But I actually counted how many times the phone rang before somebody answered. 180 times. <laughs> and uh, and I did that by math. I, it rang for nine minutes. And it was ringing, what was that, 20 times a, 20 times yeah. a, a minute. So I actually, that's how I did it. But I, I had an experience the other day where I was helping a, a company with a simple IRA. And I was speaking to an individual who was setting up his account. And uh, he is he's 60 this year. He lost his wife seven years ago. He, are we going to have time for this? No, I want you to come back. Okay, all right. Because okay. <laughs> I know that is an important conversation. So many people forget that this can be so critical and just knowing how to approach Social Security and not try to get the guy down the hall at the gas station to tell you what's going on with Social Security. That's the problem. Everybody does that. Well, if you just tuned in, my guests, Steve Anderson and Ted Miner, we're talking about some must-know facts about Social Security. You do not want to miss what we're dealing with. It's important. You want to stay with us. This is a program that's designed for you. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Secure and Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And welcome back to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest today is Ted Miner and Steve Anderson. We're talking about Social Security. And before the break, we talked, we asked, actually, Ted, you were, we were kind of into this discussion about literally sometimes Social Security can be, and you talked about 192, 180, 180, 180 <laughs> minutes or whatever it was, 90 minutes of waiting for. And I know for some people, they get very frustrated with this and they literally stop moving forward trying to get their Social Security claim. Now, I know that can be frustrating, but what you were telling us is about a particular person that was talking to you and it was a different thought. They had been given an enormous amount of information, not all from the Social Security Administration and not much from the Social Security Administration and literally confused them. Well, they, I think that his conversation had been with the Social Security Administration and they had been very limited in what they, were, they, they gave him. He was, as I said, he was turning 60. 60 is a qualifier for being able to, to receive uh, survivor benefits. He had been, uh, his wife has been deceased for seven years. He had been actually looking for, forward to, to this income that he was to receive at, at 60. Uh, he did not know that if he, if he did receive the survivor benefit at 60, that it would be reduced by about 37% from what it would be if he would wait to his full retirement age, which is 66 and, and six months or something like that. Uh, he didn't know that. He uh, he uh, and and when I was talking to him, he did not know that he was already making over the limit of income he could receive and receive those benefits. And he had been looking forward to this for for a number of years. I don't we didn't discuss it, but there was also important uh, when while we're talking about this subject, had he married before 60, he would have forfeited the benefits to his deceased wife. You know, I, I guess what you're saying to us is when we talk about money. Obviously, that's what this program is all about. And literally, as you dive into Social Security, it is a lot of different subjects. It, it's very confusing. And sometimes people get frustrated and they literally almost stop planning or stop working on things like that. Have you seen that? Have you worked with that, Steve? Either one of you? Well, I can't. I can't tell you how much. I mean, in our conversation, uh, if you could have seen the look on his face when I was sharing this information with him, I mean, he was d- let down. He yeah. thought he was f- uh, four to six months away from receiving a check for the rest of his life. He had really no idea how much that check was. He was told, he told me that the Social Security Administration told him that when you're ready to file, come and talk to us. We'll tell you how much it is. They they weren't they weren't going to help him plan. They weren't going to tell him the circumstances around it or anything. And when I shared with him that information, it it really it really he really sunk. Yeah, and, and I was going to add to that a word you used earlier, Ted, uh, the word coordinate or coordination. Um, you know, a lot of times with these financial planning topics, if you picture, I'm, I'm an analogy person. If you picture yourself throwing a rock in a pond, you can picture that those ripples. But if you take a handful of rocks and you throw them in, there's, you know, this rock ripple is affecting this one and this one, and that's really to me when you start thinking about Social Security, when you claim how it affects this, how it affects that, when you take money from here. I mean, there's a big ripple effect, and that's that's the the, the profound nature that an advisor like yourself who understands the system, uh, that's that speaks to what what you can add. 
Guys, that could not have been a better description. Uh, I think you that that is that is strong. I mean, Steve, I, I like that idea because each of those ripples do begin to affect the other problems and, and carrying on. I mean, that's the issue with a lot of people. And so if you're just tuned in, we've been talking with Ted Miner and Steve Anderson. If you'd like to talk to these guys, give them a tell, call at 757-5757. I want to kind of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, want to kind of move to a subject that I think so many people are struggling with today, especially if you own a business. And I want to bring in someone that is very astute in when it comes to risk management. Now, I want you to understand risk management is um, a subject that, uh, you know, you got to know what you're, what are you, what are you really doing when I talk about risk management? Well, I have with us a certified risk manager, commercial insurance broker, Kerry Cheston. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Jim. You know, Kerry, what I want you to talk about, because I think people especially our business owners that might be listening to the podcast or later on, they're looking at COVID, how it's affected them this year, whether their business was shut down or not. We know that there was all kinds of issues. What do you do as a risk manager when you're talking to someone that's a business owner? Well, um, you know, one thing in the last few months, I've been fielding a lot of calls from clients, um, whether or not uh, there's coverage for COVID, uh, their business income, business interruption. They're getting a lot of information from a lot of people. Um, we know hundreds of thousands of businesses have shut down and may never reopen because of uh, this pandemic. Um, people have insurance in hopes that if something happens, they can keep their doors open. So is COVID something that is covered? Um, shorter answer is no, but that is also uh, not not uh, all, always the case. Um, we are seeing uh, more and more lawsuits now that are happening across the country where uh, where judgments are going towards the claimant against the insurance companies. Uh, the reason that is is language can be ambiguous. You have hundreds of pages of policy forms and uh, in a lot of cases, uh, in your standard business owner policy or package policy, you have exclusions for viruses, and this all stemmed from the 2003 SARS uh, pandemic. Insurance companies lost hundreds of millions of dollars. So to protect them, they added that exclusion. So this comes into play. That being said, a lot of these policies, they're limited exclusions. What does limited mean? We don't know. Insurance company may know, but uh, as a, as a uh, normal person, would you is that is that what is limited? Well, limited can mean a lot of things. But if you just tuned in, I am now talking with Kerry Cheston. He is a certified risk manager, uh, commercial insurance broker with Shoemaker Insurance. And I really, Kerry, what I, I really hear you, it's ambiguous. I mean, the language is as you said, a hundred pages, which can be overwhelming to a lot of people. What about the fact that the, the how do you describe when someone says, well, I had this, uh, you know, I was working, the government told me to to shut down. Is that a claim? Can, can we describe that? What's the future of that claim? So um, I'm a broker, so I don't work for an insurance company. I always say it's in your best interest to file a claim uh, insurance co- and for COVID, at least. Insurance companies are not going to hold it against you. There's a limited time frame that you can uh, file a claim. Uh, always consult with your broker, but typically coverage is due to a direct physical loss. So virus and bacteria exclusions typically do not fall under that. 
And then you get into what's called civil authority, and that's also coverage built into policies where if a government has to shut down your business because the bits, the building is not safe, uh, then you should have coverage for business income. But government shutdown during a pandemic is not a physical law. So, again, there's a lot of ambiguity. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Would you, would you recommend the fact that some people need to just revisit this with all, you know, with what's going on? I mean, bottom line is uh, the world's changing. 2020 changed the way you have to look at risk management. Oh, 100%. 100%. So how would you recommend, what would you say to someone? How would you say to someone to, as far as getting started to evaluate that policy as a professional, as a professional risk manager? Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, understand your forms. Ask questions. When you, if if something is important to you, what do you lose sleep, lose sleep over? Ask your broker if something is covered or not. If they don't know, or if I don't know, I'll find out. I'll I'll call an underwriter who may know. Um, you know, they can't speak to exact uh, situations because you know we can't we don't deal in uh, exact situations, but. I can give you ideas of whether or not something's covered. Right now, in a short answer, again, COVID is not covered. But that doesn't mean that down the line, all companies are exploring this. They're trying to determine how they can offer coverage in the future. It may be a situation like what happened after 9-11 where uh, they have TRIA forms, terrorism forms, that are now required to be signed by every uh, insurance uh, policyholder, whether they are declining or accepting terrorism coverage for an additional premium. Well, it just brings me to the point where this past summer, 2020, we had several cities that literally had riots in the streets and, and destruction, terrible time in our, in our country. A lot of people did not realize that they may or may not have been covered for that particular time. What do you say? I can remember a particular friend of mine that owned a, a business close to where our office is in Germantown. When some people were rumored to going together in the city of Germantown in March or do something in destruction and stuff, it never happened. But I can remember him saying, I'm not covered. I'm going to protect. And that was his mindset. I'm not covered. I'm going to protect. Are, because of that terrorist thing you're talking about, are, are, are people covered if, uh, you know, you have a riot and people burn your business down? Are they covered for that? Uh, yes, uh, they are. Typically, a standard business owner policy or package policy, uh, you are covered for riot, civil, uh, civil disobedience, vandalism, looting. Those are all generally covered. Uh, most policies, especially the ones I write, are all perils or special form policies. Uh, so they do cover uh, th- those situations. Um, but there are policies that are basic that um, have named peril coverage. So you just you got to understand what you have. Uh, you know you, you got to have a, a comprehensive policy that covers uh, all perils, uh, and that's important. Uh, you know it's not the cheapest isn't always uh, the best situation. Well, I can understand that. I appreciate it when it's a hundred pages long. You need a professional to help you get through that hundred pages. And I tell you, Kerry, thank you so much because risk management is what you do. Uh, Kerry is a risk management uh, certified professional, and I, and I think Kerry, what I what I hear you say is, um, don't just buy the cheapest. Buy what's going to cover you because you never know what's going to happen. Correct. That's a great point. That's great. Hey, I want to ask uh, this guy that comes in a lot. All of a sudden, he just walked in a few minutes ago, and I asked him if he would, when he got here, if he would uh, talk about President Biden signing in the executive order to extend 
as far as we know, they're going to go ahead and stay in the open enrollment. So welcome to the program, Shannon Dyson. Thank you, Jim, for having me. All right, guys, let's talk about this. I mean, we've got an executive order that uh, has said that the healthcare.gov, it's going to dealing with healthcare.gov, opening open enrollment. Wide open. Yeah, they're op- reopening. Reopening. It. Just That's had a- an open enrollment, and now we're reopening. For, now, tell me, what does that mean? It, it means the when the, uh, the healthcare.gov was actually established, there were certain times of year that you could enroll into coverage. And the reason that's so important is that there were no health questions asked from health insurers in order for you to get health insurance. Uh, and there's no pre-existing conditions. And so the only way for an insurance company to be able to come close to predicting uh, what their losses are going to be or, or what conditions that they're going to be taking on was to have one set time period per year that everybody could enroll if you didn't have insurance or if you just wanted to get insurance through the marketplace. Um, and so that's that's what's been going on for the last, uh, gosh, 10 years, 11 years now. Um, so what this does, it opens up a brand new enrollment period, which is it's from February the 15th through May the 15th. Um, and so if you don't have insurance currently, uh, whether that was by choice or you were laid off from a, a, from your job, uh, that does offer uh, a three-month window for you to come in and pick up insurance again. All right, Chad, and without me getting into this from a political standpoint. Which is tough to do. Which is tough to do. Okay, <laughs> I get that. But I, I want to ask you, number one, I mean, if I'm an insurance company— and I've kind of calculated and I've run enough data because they are into the data. They know statistics. And you go through this open enrollment period in the fall, okay, fall into winter. Then all of a sudden you just slam the door open again. And now, and now we're talking about wide open. I mean, May is a long time. Yeah. All right. First of all, two questions. Is it necessary? Should we have done that? And second, what is that going to do to the insurance companies? I think the reason that it was done, and, and is it necessary, and I could get into a, uh, what my belief is on it, whether it was necessary or not, but I think the reason it was done is there were so many people um, laid off because of COVID and businesses going out of business and things like that, which, by the way, is a qualifying event if nothing had changed, if he did not reopen, if, if President Biden didn't reopen the healthcare market. Uh, if you're laid off from your job, you have 60 days where you can go and get insurance. So now, minute, that me, already okay, was a part of the program. Okay, wait a second. So wait a minute now. If I got laid off, I have 60 days to get into a program, not not go just out there to the market. I can get into what you're talking about here. Yeah, healthcare.gov. You have 60 days to go and enroll into into the into the marketplace. I'm struggling. So what this does is we're basically saying um, if you lost your your job uh, or if you just didn't have insurance, uh, you can now get insurance in this window. Now let's let's talk about Carrie. Carrie was just on here as a as a risk manager. You know, it's kind of like um, in some instances, if if somebody is in the hospital today and the market reopens, there's no pre-existing conditions and there's no waiting periods and everything is covered from day one. So I wonder if Carrie thinks an insurance carrier would, once your house is on fire, would they let you get insurance uh, at that point? So now, now wait a minute, I'm, I'm walking up to the front door and I can see smoke coming out the back door. Should I insure the house for fire? <laughs> right. Carrie, what do you think? Well, it's funny. It's a lot like uh, the situation in Florida and, and coastal risks. They put... Uh, 
uh, stops on being able to add coverage during when hurricanes are coming. Obviously, we have models, so we see two weeks out when hurricanes are coming. That's really so fire coming you, out of the back. Could you imagine <laughs> if, uh, if the insurance companies just said, okay, you don't have to carry coverage until you see a hurricane coming. Now, let me go buy it so it'll cover. I it, mean, and I think that's we, we can be, and, and I'm probably being a little bit cynical on, on that, but, but, there, but the, the bottom line is, is that there will be a lot of that that happens because now we're, if we're going from February 15th through May 15th and you do not have insurance and God forbid you're sick or you are in the hospital, why would you not well, absolutely. And, and, you know, we want people that need the coverage sure, to absolutely. have the coverage. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. But but does this put the insurance companies in a situation? I mean, bottom line is we don't want the insurance companies to go bankrupt. Well, I think that's the that's the rippling effect from all of this is what how will it affect the insurance companies uh, that, you know, they they have taken on the the risk. They, you know, Nobody's feeling sorry for them right now. They've, they've their stock prices have gone up. They've done fine, but you're now adding another section of time, a three or four month window, where people that did not have insurance, they probably didn't have it for a reason. Uh, if they had been laid off for the job, they already had an opportunity to get insurance, and so now we're saying anybody that does not have insurance right now, you can get insurance, and that is a that is a big risk, and we really won't know how that's going to affect the insurance carriers for several months until we see claims that come in, people to get insurance. And then when these policies start to renew next year, uh, the next year's open enrollment, you know, we could be looking at 10, 20, 30, 40% rate increases. Well, let me ask you this. What do people do? Now, let's talk about this. I mean, we don't want anybody to end up in the hospital and not have coverage. So what do they do if they don't have insurance? What do they need to know about this open enrollment? I think the important thing to note um, is that if you don't have insurance right now, um, for whatever reason, um, you are allowed this window to get insurance. And, the, and one of the important things to know, we were talking about pricing and how expensive insurance is and how pricey it could get. Um, the price in the healthcare.gov market is based on your income. Um, and so don't think just because you don't think that you make enough money to get insurance, don't don't have that stop you from going and checking it out. You can go to healthcare.gov. You can call a broker to check it out for you to say, here's my income. Here's my zip code. Um, what will the price be for me to get insurance? Um, and then the other important thing to note is there's no pre-existing conditions. Um, so you, once you get coverage, you are covered from day one. And that's not, not something that you have to worry about. Shannon Dyson and Kerry Cheston there are talking about, you know, risk management and the new fact that we have an executive order that was signed by our president. And he says it's open enrollment until May the 15th. And uh, if you got questions for either one of these guys, pick up the phone at the insurance division of Shoemaker Insurance Company. Just call them, ask them 757-5757. Let me go back. I want to ask you one in closing here, guys. I want to ask Ted Miner. What is it important to know about Social Security? What do you think is, if somebody says to you, what do I need to know? What's that answer? Well, n- number one, you need to know what your benefit is. Go online to www.ssa.gov and find out exactly what your benefit benefits are based upon your your. Uh, you recommend record. that versus a phone call? Oh, absolutely. They can go online and sign up. They can have that in five minutes by going online and signing up and getting that information. 
today it is difficult to get information from the Social Security Administration. It's only 180 rings away. <laughs> you know, 180, 180 rings. rings I, will, I will say this, that the lady that answered the phone, when I asked her, I said, you know, this phone has rang 180 times. She said, well, we're working from our home. It only rang two here. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. So, okay. Hey, you know, I mean, just her heart. You given know, the- <laughs> COVID makes it all tough, guys. I get that. I get that. You know, I guess, Steve, I want to ask you, it's behavior bias. I mean, bottom line is this can kill us. Yeah, and I loved your example about Alcoholics Anonymous. It starts with taking responsibility. Look, you can't escape it. We all got the problem. Just just recognize it and hey, be coachable. Man, thank you so much. Great guy, great job, guys. You've been listening to KWAM, the mighty 990 FM 107.9 and AM 990. I want to thank my guests. That's Kerry Cheston and Steve Anderson, Ted Miner, and Shannon Dyson. Give them a call at 757 757- 5757. Next week, I'm going to be talking with Scott Jordan, investment mistakes that we all make. You don't want to miss that. That's Saturday at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Maker. This is Talk Money. I need love. I can't pay the interest. I need love.